You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. First and foremost, I would say, is if you aren't bringing curiosity and compassion to leadership, then you're going to default into how things have been. You're not bringing curiosity and compassion. You're bringing dominance and control. Leadership is an overused word with a complex history containing a lot more examples of what not to do and not yet enough highlighted examples of how it can be done well and how it can benefit not only the person showing that leadership, but those that are around them and influenced by their choices. So today I want to question the connection between curiosity and compassionate leadership. Let's dive right in right now on Pause on the Play, where it's amazing to see you here, where you're challenged to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may have been previously unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here along with my co-host, India Jackson, ready to get the dialogue going. So today, India and I are talking with Audrey Cavencia, and this conversation absolutely just really included so many important points when it came to leadership, ways to really consider how it is that you're being a leader. What does it mean to be a leader? How we can go deeper with ourselves and inquire about whether or not our leadership is truly coming from the heart, whether or not it's actually hitting the mark. I think that there's so many things here that aren't discussed as openly And to be able to go into this with Audrey, like India and I really love this conversation. So I can't wait for you to listen, get your takeaways. So without further ado. Good morning, India. Good morning. I want to ask you how you are, but I know tech is trying to fail us this morning and we shall not be failed by Valtech. So (laughs) therefore, (laughs) just so everybody listening knows Things don't always go smooth when the internets are a part of things, but that's okay. We are resilient. We shall survive. Right. A backup plan is always necessary. So we're coming to you from Zoom today. Zoom. (laughs) I immediately have a Commodore's reference in my head. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, I cannot help you. I have jukebox brain. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to dig into today because I feel like the words curiosity, compassion, empathy, um, adventure, exploration, all of that has been coming up a lot in our implicit explicit masterclasses with clients as values that they have. 
And as I've been noticing these words being thrown around in different iterations of themselves, I felt like there's a connection between them and that they're related to leadership. What are your thoughts on that? I agree 100% because I don't think that true embodied, valuable, beneficial leadership to everybody that is in proximity to it. I don't think it happens without those qualities, at least in my opinion. I think that's what makes leadership so different from the way that we've been stereotypically taught we need to be a leader. And I think that's really one of the biggest pieces of this conversation today. Right. So I'm so excited to have our guests with us today. Um, It's an area that they talk about quite a bit that's very important to them. And they're going to bring some interesting context to this conversation. So would you like to introduce or would you like me to introduce our guests? I am happy to go ahead and do it this go around. I'll hop in on the reins. So (laughs) Audrey Cavincia is the chief content officer and co-producer for Amplify Voices and the co-host alongside Pete Carroll for the Amplify Voices podcast. Audrey is a talented storyteller and visionary systems thinker. Audrey has decades of experience in leadership development, entertainment production, and content marketing with a focus on championing humanity in all people. She believes stories are the most powerful tools we have to access change, growth, momentum, and compassion. Audrey was born in the San Francisco Bay Area and was a transplant to Seattle via Venice Beach. And as one of two people here on this line that have taken up roller skating, I'm like, can I go, please? Thank you. <laughs> <I'm> Venice Beach. <laughs> <laughs> she enjoys personal, t- personal time with her three. I'm going to call uh, Max Dogs. Officially, no. we are bringing it back to DMX. They had the X Dogs. <laughs> Zolo Quintilis. I'm going to try it. And she's going to correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) And I'm probably still wrong. Um, And exchanging stories via DM with her son, Christian. Not to mention her total obsession. Y'all know I'm a hairstylist and at heart always. With her big, bold, all-natural hair. You know I love a good old head of hair, man. Everybody, pause on the play audience. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you for being here and for letting us chop and screw the name of your dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So the name of the dogs is um, Sholowitz Quintley, which translates to dogs of gods. And it is um, a very ancient breed. It's one of the oldest breeds. And in fact, the dogs, uh, I I didn't know, I didn't even, I never even heard of these dogs until I adopted the first two. And then I sought out the third one, but I'm to adopt from, and all three of them were just in really awful conditions because um, of um, being bred and sold and what have you. But there's a, a moment not too far along uh, ago that they were going to be extinct. And, and then there was a revitalization of these dogs, but they're apparently the history of them is very special. And um, they were used in ancient times as healing dogs and actually Frida Kahlo, the dogs that you see with Frida Kahlo, people think those are chihuahuas, but those are actually Shilohs Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now I now I have a mental picture. The minute mm-hmm. you said Frida Kahlo, I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I see where we're going. I've some Egyptian Shit. type of artwork as well. I don't know yeah, why, but I yeah. think I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Amazing, amazing. Well, again, thank you for correcting us because I really do try to say things correctly, but, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't use phonetics like the rest of the word. One day we will catch up. Um, so, One of the things that I think has been beautiful here is you've talked about 
your dogs not being just dogs. And I think when mm-hmm. people include people and entities and aspects of their lives that go beyond the typical and they have that knowledge of what else it can mean, I think that that tends to definitely kind of say a lot about a person. And it definitely shares a little bit about who they are and how they are and their kind of processing of life. So um, if you could maybe tell us one thing that has kind of shaped you and something that really makes you who you are. I always like for the guests to know who you are as a person, not not just the bio. Bio is always like, yeah, I do big shit. Here we go. But outside of that, you know, sharing (laughs) something about you that makes you Audrey. I think a, a really big part that that may has made up who I am that I that I came to a point and really embraced and then I took it on really as a superpower was an experience of growing up and feeling like I didn't belong anywhere um, and just coming from a very racially diverse and culturally diverse family it was really sad for me when I was a kid that I just was picked on for that or singled out for, for being different. And people always asking me, what am I um, kind of really instilled something or I allowed it to really instill something in my head that I was like, Oh, you mean I'm not like anybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm not accepted. But there was a point in time, just kind of taking that by the reins and saying, well, Hey, maybe that's my superpower. And it, and it really did in, in both um, storytelling development and entertainment and media. And then in my kind of hybrid uh, professional life of being also um, someone who has a pretty rich experience in leadership development worldwide. It gave me an opportunity to truly be an examiner of the existence of others and, and to do that with a sense of contribution instead of being an outlier. I, I could then be a, a service in that capacity. And I think that's been a huge part of my abilities when people are like, where did you come up with this idea? How did you come up with a solution? How could you see this thing about me that I didn't even know about myself? And it's like, yeah, because I've been kind of a permanent resident of sitting outside everyone for so long <laughs> that it just gave me a different ability in in creating. So, um, and I think the other just part that's just uh, intact with that. So it really is still in your question of just one thing that's that really has kind of a, a has me be me is that this really, really profound connection, I feel that I have searched for more than had, but searched for and truly find myself in a place now of being connected to my heart, not just my head and, or my gut. And, um, and I think that it's a really, really unique and expansive journey to be on, especially in relationship with other people. And here I am. (laughs) (laughs) All that, all that. And that I think so many pieces that you acknowledged are, and as, as, as a parent of um, children that are biracial and knowing how important it is to instill not only like a sense of worth, but kind of this like inherent, like you are enough as you are in any environment at any point in your life. A lot of the things that you said really stood out to me as I think what can be valuable lessons with just the way that you happen to inhabit this particular life and the body that you inhabit it in and being able to not take these things that can feel like they're, they're, they're difficulties or their challenges and being able to figure out how can I flip this? How can I make this work? How can I make this be a 100%, benefit? 100%. I think that's the transition that 
we go from um, I don't belong here to why am I here? And then we get really invested of our purpose. And I think that's something that we can all say, especially on the topic of leadership. People are very disconnected to their purpose. And just that lack of identifying that, that lack of, you know, that gut knowing, even if you can't even articulate it there, if you allow mm -hmm. yourself to be silent enough and really, really search for it, you get this kind of grounded sense of like, oh yeah, I get it. I, I'm here for this. That's what I'm here for. I feel it. And, um, and I think that pops you out of not belonging or pops you out of that kind of loneliness or, or despair um, or apathy is when you're present to why you're here. I would love to know, because uh, you mentioned leadership, when you speak of leadership, how are you defining that? What does it mean to you? Yes, that's, yeah, that's such a great question. I, first of all, I don't hold leadership solely to one's career. That's the first thing that I think is really important. Thank you for um, saying that. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so leadership for me is, leadership is the practice of being at the source of creation in your life. And so I, I say very intently, a practice of being at the source of creating in your life, because every single thing that you look at, you know, even as, let's say, parents um, a, an automatic thing as parents that we do is, oh, I want to give my children everything I didn't have in life. But that's not a parent at the source of creation in their parenting. That's a parent reacting to their past and right. then imposing it on their child, good or bad. You, you, you tend to not open up every possibility when you do that. You kind of are building a lane that's attached to your past. And if you do that in every single area of your life, I believe that there is a, um, uh, a popping out of a paradigm, if you will, where you pop out of being at the effect of something or being a victim of something or being suppressed by something into completely being at the source of your life. Like, oh, I got, that's where that came from. And, oh, I react that way because of that happened to me in my past. And, oh, that's because, you know, so-and-so told me it's that way. And all of those things you examine and you can, then you're at that moment, you could choose like, hey, some of these, I like these, I'm going to keep these around. But other things that I'm doing, other ways that I'm reacting or the way and I look at this situation um, it is really not, I'm not completely at the source of it. That's something from a long time ago. And now how do I want to look at it? Well, you can create anything. I mean, that's the, the real benefit of looking at leadership that way. Am I at the source of this? And let me tell you something in a professional capacity, the, the data is still incredibly high before we got to 2020 on that like 89%, 70%, 65%, you get it across the board where employees would be, um, uh, uh, would go through just feedback and they would say, oh, our leaders are not trained. Our managers are not trained. I mean, massively high percentages. Now with 2020, where we've seen a huge paradigm shift in what is leadership and that bad behavior, just because you're producing results as a leader, you don't get to get off with that anymore. You don't get to get away with that anymore. We're examining that. So we're going through this major shift. And so it's really important, I believe, in, in the way that, that I view leadership in terms of being at the source, that practice of being at the source is that we have this kind of day-to-day -day 
examination and slowing down of our behavior of how we've been told leadership looks, how it feels, what it's supposed to do, what it means about you and others and and the whole thing so that we could really start to create this new era of what leadership is. So the 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 one of the things that stands out to me is so much of what you said is really focused around curiosity. Curiosity mm-hmm. about what yourself, the curiosity of what you've taken to be the standard, the norm, kind of reexamining that and just getting curious about what works, what does not work, why, and what can we do with this? And I think it's a trait that really does lend itself very well to learning and growth, which again, needs to be present. And I'm curious to know your thoughts of how that really does fit in and intersect with leadership. You're talking about curiosity and compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, be for us all to be very vigilant in the practice of the opportunity of leadership, because how curiosity and compassion fit in leadership, first and foremost, I would say, is if you aren't bringing curiosity and compassion to leadership, then you're going to default into how things have been, which is when people are not curious and compassionate with others, with circumstances, in the face of failure, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of confusion, in the face of different types of personalities that don't seem and, you know, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, you're not bringing curiosity and compassion, you're bringing dominance and control. Because that's where people falter to. That's the default as human beings we go to. It's like, I'm not getting what I want out of this. That's scaring me. When I get scared, I go to fight or flight. And when I'm in fight or flight, I push and impose something. And we've seen that. You can just look at over the last X number of decades. I mean, for hundreds of years, but just look at the business world or in the world of leadership for the last few decades. And we see that the, the louder people, the more controlling they are the top-down relationship, the, you know, I'm leading you, you listen, or what have you, all of those ways that we've been in leadership. Uh, Like I I said, again, you know, as long as you're getting the results, nobody's going to question how you got them. But now you see what's coming out with between Me Too and between 2020 and the, the all of a sudden huge jump in interest in diversity and inclusion and equity and and relationships like that. Listen, you're not going to find out how to work next in leadership, how to lead, how to rise up leaders, people of color. You're not going to, how to work with women and women of color in, in, um, in, in areas where there is a lack of, if you're not bringing curiosity and compassion to the culture, there's just no way because everything is new. When you think of when there's been less than 7% of participation for people of color in clinical trials. In science, there's a, a lack of it. In media and marketing and storytelling, there's a lack of people of color. And maybe we could just go on into every single industry. The majority of all industries lack female and people of color uh, in leadership positions or at all. And so you can't just apply the regular, this is how you do it. This is how you hire people. This is how you get them in it. You're like, no, you have to get curious because we've never been in a place where we've worked well and we've played well together. We've never been there. I appreciate you calling it for what it is, dominance and control. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely see it like in my industry so often that it's referred to as being the expert. It's referred to as being the authority. And that has been used so much that 
I think we've normalized uh, being an authority or being the expert is like the only way to do things. And even that, if we're not careful, is done from a way of dominating other people, saying my way is the only way and really using it to control people. And let me tell you something, India, that's not only detrimental to other people, but that's where you get locked in a box yourself. Yes. Because that's where people have to be like, oh, I was supposed to have it together because I'm the expert. No, you're not. This is why I love one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou. And this has been like a recent breakthrough for me in in leadership. So I've really been in this massive explorative space around humility in relationship to leadership. And I love this quote from Maya Angelou because she says, you know, you don't want modesty, but what you do want is humility because humility comes from inside out. It actually says someone was here before me. And they paid my dues for me to be where I am. And everything I do right now is me paying the bill for somebody else. And I mm. think there is something very extraordinary, like, like a chasm or a, or, or a deep tie for us all to be like, I might think I know what she means, but I think that's like a five-year inquiry to just be in that space. Yes. And go, what does that mean? It's very interesting to me to have worked with such incredibly neck and neck with such incredibly powerful people and incredibly white males um, that are very, very powerful and and like just completely opened a door once I gained that trust of just collaborating with them. And for me to examine and have that kind of white male power in the room, you only see it and you know, only know this knowledge if you're at this table kind of experience where I was shocked to find that these powerful white men at this level of what they were doing were so kind and thoughtful and generous and humble. I can't tell you how many times Larry Ellison, who's the founder of Oracle, is the sixth richest person in the world, would apologize to me because he was five minutes late or would stop what we were doing to acknowledge the service that we got in somewhere. Or he would come, come forward and say, hey, here's my ideas, Audrey, but I know you're in charge of this. So please don't let me overstep. If I'm overstepping, you know, I apologize. Like I, I only experienced the kind of mistreatment I did by people who, who were pretending to be leaders or thought and saw, and again, we're not at the source of something, but they were pretending to be something. So I think humility is something that is so extremely powerful. And it was tough for me to get to because as a woman of color, always having to work 10 times harder and be 50 times more developed and, and learn every single thing about everything I do. I can't even be a one lane person. I have to know 20 things Mm -hmm. at any given time. Right. Uh, Right. I was like, humility. Uh Uh-uh. I'm, I'm the person that has to stand up and sing my own praises. I have to fight my own, you know, entries into place because nobody's going to open a mini door and walk me through. So it was, it, for me, I think it came at a really, you know, as a far more senior in my life, it came at a great time where I could hear it and I could say, wow, this has been kind of showing up for me in the last six years as an example over and over again of who these men are being. Is it possible that humility is something I missed? And when I saw that and my Angela quote, I was like, all right, came from a black woman. So I know I'm onto something. That wasn't a white man quote. That was a woman of color quote. And I, I think it's really great. And you know, it's interesting when you think of humility or uh, there's so many white male led companies right now that are really scrambling for how are we get more diverse? How do we do that? And I think, you know, what's really funny is there's so many 
people like myself who've worked effectively and massively successfully, like I've had just really huge hundreds of millions of outcomes of, of things that they've produced from really innovative ways, their, their relationships and their collaborations and even their challenges worked out really well. I don't understand why more business people aren't inquiring into people like myself who have worked through how do you work together? How do you rise up and work neck and neck? So it was just kind of a natural thing when here Pete Carroll came along and he wanted to really um, impact something. And I was able to, to meet him and pitch this idea of like, wow, why not get into media? Because we can affect narratives. We can put people of color front and center. We can have every shape and size and, and color and background and experience talking about, you know, leading with love and talking about coming from a compassionate place and talking about talking to youth in every possible background and, and race and culture on what's a possibility for them versus, uh, you know, problems. And, and Pete was like, yeah, right. Yeah. Why don't you be the co-host on the show? We could stand right next to each other and do these things. So he was so invested in you know what became the company Amplify Voices, but that that is a very unique particular lane that I've been on is to have effectively worked with with white males. And you know what's funny is I was just telling somebody the other day, like I can't even remember in all my decades of working ever sitting here going white males and we were kind of like you just don't bring that up. And now it's like you have to because everybody's right. talking about it. And and again, I just bringing in that humility is like you know. It, humility makes you ask questions and it makes you listen to people differently. And it doesn't mean right. that you don't have such rich experience. It doesn't mean you don't have contribution, but it securely locks you in that place of curiosity and compassion when, when you are, and I would say the other side of humility, as I've experienced it, is how they say gratitude is at the source of success or continued success, like truly a rich success, not when where you have more than other people and everybody else is living sparsely around you, but one, one where you experience having abundance and that you bring that and that you're receiving that in your relationships. I would definitely say that, you know, to be grateful for what one has to wake up every day and say, oh, I'm grateful that, you know, I have this roof over my head, I'm grateful and able to have cold water or anything, no matter how bad things are, you could always find something to be truly gracious about. And for us to know that that is an important part of tapping into what is abundant. Um, I, I just think this is really important, this connection between what you're, what you're saying, curiosity and compassion. And in, in, my, in my pathway, it truly has been a conversation for wanting to connect humility to leadership, unlike it has ever been in the conversation of what it is. I definitely, everything you said, first of all, everything you said, yes, just <laughs> like <laughs> period, mic drop on all of it. And I think that it, part of what I heard that comes through the lens of like, you know, the diversity, equity and inclusion work that I do. And the fact that it, that, you know, I really don't look at it as this is what you do. It's a way that you do all things. I think that mm -hmm. a number of things that you mentioned um, really did pop out to me. You know, one was, you know, regardless of somebody's stature or level of money, being able to share the space with someone else and say, hey, I have, you know, thoughts, but this is not mine. So this is yours. And please tell me to get out of the way if I'm doing too much or being able to still find that place of, like you said, use the word humility and, you know, being able to apologize and, and have this consideration for someone's time and not like, oh, 
well, I'm at this stature. So therefore, I don't have to apologize. I don't have to acknowledge other people. I don't yeah. have to be a team player. And I think there is this, and I've, I've talked about it before in that there is this link um, that white men have that is connected to change because they are at the top of the hierarchy. And so when yeah. someone is in a position of being willing to take in the leadership and the knowledge and the um, support of someone that looks like us, then it is a possibility of being able to shift what they do with their platform and their privilege. And it can be an act of equity. And I think there's a lot of value there. And I do think that is a part of leadership, of, of understanding you don't know it all. So what can we do with this that is different than what you probably ever considered? And I think there's yeah. a lot of power there. Yeah, like, let, let, you know, one of the interesting things when I have a conversation and we touch on a matter, since my storytelling and media that I do is so deeply connected to branding and, and marketing, because now everything's all enmeshed in one in that world, right? Um, mm -hmm. Considering uh, that we're so visual and we're online. And so your brand is connected, your marketing is connected to your entertainment, is connected to all of that. It's all like a ecosystem that everybody has wrapped around them if you're doing it effectively. And one of the interesting things when I would walk in and would be like, okay, we're going to do this. And these are going to be the, the stories we're going to build and all of that there. I always tend to look at someone's just to do a, a layover on their brand and their presentation. I think an interesting thing is like, let's, there is deep work to do. There's intense work to do. There's trauma, there's trauma to heal. There's so much of all of that, but at the moment by moment by moment, which we should really be paying attention in because we're no longer in a place where we're just looking for answers. We're in this new space. So we should be far more curious than, than answering questions. How does this work? Let's try that. Let's try this. I think some of the things we're making too complicated, like for instance, like I said, in examining brands, the very first thing I do when I go into a company, that's like a mainstream company, meaning like you're not selling uh, white you know, uh, razor blades for shaving white male hair. That's very specific if you're, if you're selling that, right? So obviously your market is very specific, but in terms of most businesses have a generalized market. And the very first thing I do is I just, in front of them, I open up some of their PowerPoints and their presentations for their internal, and I open up their website and I look at that and I say, okay, let me just say something. The United States has slight slightly more women than men and minorities collectively are let's say about 47 percent now in x number of years it's going to we're going to be the minority majority so at the very 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 least you're you're spending all this money trying to figure out your DEI. you're spending all this money how to how to gain market share with whatever at the very least have your website be 50 percent women 50 percent men and at least 47% people of color. Because what you're essentially doing by having 98% white men or white people is you're actually misrepresenting the United States, the facts of what we're at. It is, it, it is very, very, very surprising before 2020 if you would have ever went on any mainstream business website and found more than three people of color on there. It's very right. rare. It's it's so rare that that in 2020, before George Floyd's murder, you could go online and you can Google black male doctor or some kind of, you know, not uh, not highly in the narrative of representation 
and you would get like a limit of one page. This is Google. You know, you typically get hundreds of pages of searches for just about anything that you look up. But that's how how um, how little the commitment is, if at all, to ensure that there was accurate representation, not even some representation, accurate representation. So in my bio, when you read that storytelling is a deep passion of mine, it, it is because when you see something, it does affect. When companies go every single day and there are black and brown people there or women there in those departments and every single thing around them from the employees to the language, to the visuals, to the PowerPoint presentations, to emojis, to to have the materials, to uh, you know the scripts, to to whatever it is, and the board, and the employee roster, and the website materials, and when they're all ninety percent white, it does something to you. It does something to you, and not just to us that we're automatically like, oh, you're not considered, but it also does something internally to everybody else because they don't have the opportunity to expand who they are to really be challenged. And I think that is a really, really important part, again, around leadership right now is that we have to press into the uncertainty. We really, really do. And not press in with, with, uh, uh, in, uh, with this sort of like, you know, you're wrong because that, that doesn't get us anywhere. But we have to really press in like, how about if we, like I said, again, how about if we try this? How about if we try that? But not everything, again, should be so complicated. Like I said, things can be very, very, very simple if we just start to apply the missing components that we, that we so long overlooked. Listen, nobody white is going to wake up every day and go to their website in the course of their shopping or go to Netflix and watch movies and go, my gosh, this is too much white stuff. Nobody's going to do that, right? Like, I'm no. sure nobody has ever said that. But for us you know, even going, my hair going natural, you know, so many white people don't, I mean, let's be real. So many people of color don't even know about the crown act, but, right. um, but I consciously, consciously um, just turned 53 this weekend and I went natural. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> and I went natural at 49. So that's the majority of my adult life. I straightened my hair. And I had to go back. That's again about when I said leadership is being at the source of creation of your life. I was like, oh my gosh, I hadn't realized that I'm not at the source of the thing that grows out of my head. I have been doing something and making a decision that was imposed on me that then I adopted. And then I became like, it was the truth about me that my hair looks better this way. And here I was at 49 years old out of just the self-examination and the self-exploration and to say, I have not even allowed my hair to just grow out of my head. And I, I cannot mm -hmm. tell you that first year, just growing out my hair and learning at my age, how to actually do my hair was so humbling and embarrassing. I mean, it was a, a period of time where I was like, I'd walk out the door and I just would walk by some reflection. I'd be like, who's that? Oh my gosh, that's me. It took me a year and a half to get used to my hair. And once I, once I did, I will not straighten my, I mean, I'm maybe, I might not say maybe never, but it might be never, but I make sure that I wear my hair this way in every possible bio picture or executive picture or video mm -hmm. or shooting or anything, because I want this now to be in the narrative like other women are to say, this is professional. This is what yes. it looks like. And no, my hair is not wild and crazy. It is exactly as it should be. 
this is how it grows out of my head. And we need more pictures. It seems like no big deal. And like I said, nobody else is going to think about this but us, but we need more pictures in a professional capacity of very accomplished women with at least this too. I'm not saying people shouldn't straighten their hair, but we need this too in the narrative. We need to know and, you know, to have a place where young girls and young boys can look over that and be like, wow, that person's doing that in the world. And then the next to those people, and they've done this with themselves and look at how they're dressed or how their hair is or what have you. And oh, okay, I'm, I'm free to be me. I think that's that thing again, that goes back to my Angela saying, Hey, somebody paid a bill for you and now you're going to pay it for somebody else. And I'm, um, this one small area where I'm definitely want to pave a way and have that be important. But you know, that's like leadership, these choices that you make, um, or that we make to say, we're going to, you know, contribute to the betterment of other people by applying these, these actions around us and we'll live our way into it's like that famous quote um you know keep asking questions because eventually you'll live into the answer i feel that way about us now you are just finding all the reasons to fully just get my whole heart right now i'm like oh. all right <laughs> all right i love hearing that i love hearing that listen i feel like people should go around and just be loved you know, I, that's another word that I want to bring into the professional world. I mean, I end my emails to my team with, I love you. And it's not, it's not, uh, you know, something that throw away to me. I mean it. And I, and I ask myself, it's something that Pete has taught me in the short time that I've been working with him and leading his company where he says, Hey, Audrey, if you, if you speak, if you make a decision, if you take an action from your heart, you'll never go wrong. Even if you don't get what you want. Believe me, you're paving a road, you'll never go wrong. And I think that is a really important part of where I've located myself. And, and also just breaking apart that kind of stigma that love is mushy and love is this. And mm -hmm. I think it was uh, uh, King's daughter that said, oh, love, love is, is powerful. Love is a force. Love has to get you up in the morning and, and challenge you with your day. Oh, don't, don't, don't think that love is squishy and weakness and all of that. So it's a really amazing opportunity to find out the level of resilience of our heart. It's interesting because I've found myself more recently asking the question sometimes in my head and sometimes out loud of people of like, do you love your people? Do you uh -huh. love your team? Do you love, you know, your partners, whether that's sponsors, podcast guest. And I think it's one that we all should start to ask ourselves more because it's really challenging. And in my opinion, maybe even impossible to lead people if you're not willing to love them. Yeah. And now more than ever, again, like I feel like there was enough in the, the, um, in our environments and the culture, especially the culture that is the United States, um, where it's, the on on the you know the front of the hand back of the hand makes up the whole hand right and so the the front of the hand is the american dream and the back of the hand is the have and have not because if i get the dream you get nothing and so right. there really is this thing that okay let's examine this american dream because somewhere in there when applied with control and manipulation and force and aggression and dominance and hierarchy and all of that we lost way. We lost way of that American dream and that abundance or, or whatever that people come from everywhere for. And, um, and man, I don't think we are even related to what's possible for humanity. 
because we've lived in this lane of control and aggression and dominance for so long as a means to produce results, what if we tapped into other design abilities of a human being in, in causing and creating? Oof, it's, it's amazing. So that makes me ask, like, as somebody who would be listening to our conversation right now, what is maybe even just one way that you think they could contribute to supporting the growth of more compassionate leaders? Ask yourself, but people should really make a list. I mean, I do this on a daily breakdown of like an hourly level as I've been in this. Ask yourself, where am I not leading from my heart? in my life. If you just checked in and even in a, like a, a two minute, you know, check-in to be present, to unload um, uh, uh, what we've been inside of when, when we've been influenced, everything around us is influenced this way. United, United States creates 80% of all content that the world consumes. So that's narratives that we've been actually introducing to the world for all this time. Um, sexualizing women and women have less response, you know, uh, authority in life and women are at the, at the, uh, you know, need men and just all of the things that you could think of how black people and brown people are seen and stereotypes and all of that. We've been enmeshed in that completely. So what pops us out in life, what pops us out of paradigms that we've been in, even though the, the world around us is shifting, whether we like it or not, whether people want it to change or not, it is. So in order to be on the forefront of change, one has to surrender to the questions. One has to surrender to the uncertainty with the willingness to not have it be certain so quickly. So when you ask yourself questions as a practice, what you do is you keep opening up. It's just this, this um, access to, to the to the everything, if you will, available, all knowledge in the universe. It's just, I'm going to keep asking myself a question. Where am I not leading from heart? I took an action. Ooh, that feel right. How did, how was, how was that not from my heart? How would it have been different? And if you keep doing that, what you'll start to find is there's some very, very different things that you're going to say and different things that you're going to do. I'm finding that my leadership has become more humble. It has become softer that sure. I had to build a louder, bigger presence to be paid attention to, but I don't need it that much anymore. And I don't have to keep going to something just because I spent years developing it. It had its time. I enjoyed it for whatever it was, and I didn't enjoy parts about it either. I'm very, very excited and, and, and like to give to everybody else right now. It's a great time to surrender to this next space that we're in and truly, truly ask yourself, where Am I not leading from my heart? Whether it's your personal life, your family life, your relationship to your body, your relationship to your well-being, uh, you know, at work, not speaking up for yourself, over-talking everybody, whatever you're doing. Um, it's a good time to shed those things and come out with fresh skin. I feel like that is a perfect action to kind of leave the listeners with of something that they can really check in with on a multiple times a day basis of where am I not leading from my heart? I think that's such a beautiful way to really dive into your own inquiry for yourself and how you're interacting with others around you, whether you recognize it or not, and just really bringing that curiosity up. I think that's amazing. Could you tell us a little bit more about where to find you and about the Amplify Voices podcast? 
Sure. So you can find us at amplifyvoices.io and it has all the information. And then in, in Amplify Voices, we're on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere. And, um, and a really great thing is um, Pete Carroll and my podcast, Conversations from the Heart, is um, finished its first season. It'll start shooting again next season. But I'm launching my podcast called Unlikely. And it's on leadership and it's leadership during these uncertain times. And it's going to be talking to unlikely sources. I, I truly believe that everyday people out there, whether they're running something or not running something or your neighbor or what have you, there are people that are living in this, this inquiry of leading from their heart and examining who they're being with people. And they have things to share with us that we can all contribute. So my podcast, I want it to be a very edutainment podcast where um, we'll talk to someone that I'll um, curate and select in all different types of people. And, um, and at the end of it, I'm actually going to pull together the lessons learned for people to practice them. Because like I said, it's a new space. It's a new time. And I, I think it, it's wonderful. I'd love to be able to contribute the things that I have that I've learned in being able to develop leaders and the fact that I have this rich background in storytelling and to be able to touch base with all these different types of people and then build up this body of, of knowledge and contribution amongst where's leadership going and how is it going to look and how can I practice something today that's going to expand my ability to lead and be at the source of my life. So that's how you can find me. That's what's going on. Amazing. Amazing. And we'll have everything linked in the show notes so that people can come and check you out and be able to learn more about you and to continue to be inspired by everything that you do and knowing that what you share with us is just a small piece of it. And for that generosity, thank you. This has been amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Thank Audrey. you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you both. Thank you for doing this. This conversation was everything. And again, I had no idea where it was going to go, which is truly the beauty of having guests and being able to let things really just take on an organic life of their own. Because Audrey shared so much about her personal experiences, and she really did demonstrate why storytelling is such an important part of being a leader and how that is how you connect with people. That is how you assist people in understanding that there is a level of empathy and understanding that you have because this is what you yourself have experienced. And I think that it's such an important part of really integrating those learnings in what you hope others can be open to learning from you, but yet having that accountability built in because it's like, hey, we can talk about this together. We can work on this together. We can hold each other accountable for being better together. And that's exactly the type of spirit that we bring into Implicit the Explicit, where we're helping you to not only figure out what your values are, but how you can be in action with them. And I would love for you to be able to figure out how that can be one of the next steps in your evolution, personally and professionally. So we tend to offer them per, um, privately as well as publicly. So in order to figure out when they're coming up next and go ahead and sign up for your own, come on over to pauseontheplay.com. Today, you can go ahead and learn more. And as always, for being here, for showing up for these real conversations where we are normalizing the challenging things and making them a part of your everyday exchanges, I thank you. You know that together, this is how we remove stigma and create real change and connection. We cross lines, we recreate boundaries, also that we can support and not separate.
So together, let's continue getting more people dropping the veil and challenging their thoughts, feelings, and actions. Andy and I love being here and creating the bridge for you to walk over, for you to become the change that you want to see. So till the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?